Well, we are in uh, our last sermon on the songs of Christmas, and it's just going to be a quick uh, overview of, uh, overview, is that the right word? Of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful song, a very rich song, and uh, I've, I've got to talk with Bubba quite a bit about it and Matt, and uh, Bubba's actually done quite a bit of research on that, and as you know, um, he does a lot of research on a lot of things, right? And he usually gives us lots of good notes on things, so um, I want you to understand one thing. Today, we are not going to do a comprehensive overview of this song. In fact, there are two hidden missing verses that we don't sing anymore, that we should, but we don't. So I would encourage you as homework to go find those and go research those. I would, I would say that this, uh, this hymn, and I, Bubba says it's his favorite hymn of all time. Agreed? Um, I would say that it is definitely one of the most deep and honoring and rich hymns that there is. I, I would say it's close to one of the best of all time for me. And not just when we're talking about Christmas carols. We're not just talking about the best Christmas carol. We're talking about the best hymn of all time. And uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written in 1739 by Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was a prolific hymn writer and a poet. Uh, he has over 6,000, I think, hymns at least, and, and 3,000 poems that aren't even accounted for, uh, as far as, far as uh, songs, right, that could be put to music. Uh, just amazing how he, he wrote that. In fact, was it his brother, you said? His brother, John Wesley, right, he's a theologian. He, he said this about uh, his brother's hymnal. He said, it's the most comprehensive theology that there is. Like, if you went through and read through 6,000 hymns, you would understand God's Word and God's Bible and God's message, right? The Gospel. So that's, and I want you to understand one of the things as we, as we go through the songs of Christmas, I, I get that it's like, oh, it's not the worship song I heard on the radio last night. It, that's okay. That worship song is not near as rich as the songs we are singing today, right? And so one of the things that's important is as we look at modern day hymns or ancient hymns from, from we saw some from the 600s or from 1700s, as we look at those, those hymns, they are, they are singing the gospel message. They are singing theology, biblical, straight biblical theology to our hearts. And that is so important. That's why they're so rich. That's why they're still around. Right? It's not just something that's watered down and makes you feel warm and fuzzy. It's actually something that's deep. So it's so important for us to know that and to embrace those. And, and as, we, as we sing as a church together, not only at Christmas time, but, but next week also and the weeks after, these songs that we sing, we should be pondering in our heart. We should be singing to our heart. We should be singing to the Lord Jesus, but they better be sound, right? They better be sound. And I, I know that for many of you and for myself, uh, this last few weeks going through the songs of Christmas has been a rich time. A rich time to look d- deeply at, at these songs that we sing every year and sometimes don't even know what we're missing, right? More often than not, we miss a lot of it. So, so today we're going to look at a little bit of it and know that probably next year our sermon series might just be on Hark the Herald Angels Sing because there's so much content and it's so rich that we might go through that for four or five weeks next December, okay? So today's just an overview and our celebration Christmas Sunday uh, to look at it. Again, it was written by Charles Wesley in uh, 1739. And uh, it was called at the time uh, a hymn for Christmas Day, or they'd call it hark. And hark was a term say, listen, like, like get your attention, get ready to hear. And, and it was originally the first stanza, right? We sing, hark the herald angels sing. But the first stanza was really, um, hark the welkin, or this, what did it say? I, uh, sorry, it's right here. Hark how the welkin rings, how all the welkin rings. And it was one of these deep, rich, old English things. And, and welkin was... To, to hear what the skies proclaim, like, like what are the skies saying? So it was, listen, something's being said from the heavens. 
right? And so eventually, uh, as you look through Luke chapter 2, and we'll read that today a little more, as you look through that passage, as, and as his, his good friend uh, George Whitfield came on the scene, he said, let's, let's change this to something a little different and actually change it to what we sing today, and that was done. Now, that was done with permission because Charles Wesley did not like his songs being messed with, right? Uh, in fact, the, the tune that uh, he put it to was not what we'll sing it to today, right? In fact, he could have went into one of the grocery stores and listened to a song that was just an instrumental, not realizing that his words were put to it because it's changed so much over the years. Um, he, he meant it to be a very slow, very contemplative song. And we sing it as a joyous occasion because it's Christmas, right? Hark the herald angels. We sing it like that. And we will today too. But it's celebrating Christmas. But we, we need to ponder that. He wanted it to be pondered and thought through. So uh, over time, it has changed a little bit in tune or in tempo, but the, the poetry, the theology remains arguably the, the same. And, and again, arguably one of the best um, hymns of all time. Again, I would encourage you to go seek after verse four and verse five uh, and get a little head start there. But that, that really brings about the, uh, the fullness of the passage, the fullness of the theology uh, and beyond just Christmas. All right. So today um, is, is our final sermon, and, and we're talking about proclaiming. Proclaiming the glory of God is the title. Proclaiming the glory of God. Um, we, we've gone through a, a little trek from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, to the first Noel, or O Little Town of Bethlehem, and, and today we look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So three things we'll run through. I'm going to have a children's corner here in a few minutes for the kids uh, and, and visit with them. But uh, number one, as we proclaim the glory of God, we proclaim that He triumphed over sin. He triumphed over sin. That's number one. Uh, we're going to look at verse one. We can put that up on the screen for us, Davey, please. Verse one from Hark the Herald. On it. Got it. All right, here, here's the song. Hark the Herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. That's our song. I want to break that down a little bit. We're going to talk about proclaiming the glory, and we're seeing them hark, right? Hark the herald angels sing, and certainly is a, a great view from uh, Luke chapter 2. And, and here's what it says in Luke 2, 8, 8 through 14. It's the account of the shepherds, right? In the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Right? And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I bring or I proclaim to you good news of great joy for all people. Today a Savior has been born, who is Messiah the Lord uh, in, in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of uh, heavenly hosts with the angel, so there we go, the, the welkin, right? The, this is the proclamation from the skies, the multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on peace and on, on earth to people he favors. Now, the argument is, well, he doesn't say they sang it. I, it's hard for me not to be able to sing praises to God, right? When I give praises to God, my heart is singing and ringing out. But either way, we say, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That was the proclamation that they were making. And, and the proclamation was that there would be peace on earth to people he favors. Well, then we go to Matthew chapter 2, and we see uh, that, that this is a king, in fact. Not just a baby, but it's a king. Not just a savior, but a king. And Matthew 2, 1 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east 
arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem saying, what they say? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and we've come to worship him. So these wise men, this is a sermon earlier, but these wise men came, they gave up and they risked everything and they brought wealth so they could worship a baby who was born king. Not that would become king one day. He was born king. And they came to worship him in that lowly state because he deserved the glory. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. So, so what is the goal of this, of this Savior? What is the goal of this, this birth of the King, the Savior of the world? Well, we see in 2 Corinthians that, that if anyone is in Christ, right, comes to worship Christ and bows down and bows their hearts before Christ, that turns from their own sin and, and turns to faith in Christ, that they, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The, the old has passed away, and look, all things ha- new have come. Everything is from God who... And here, here's what he was doing. What is he doing? Who was reconciling, uh, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God was reconciling. What does that mean to reconcile? Heal? That's a great word for heal, right? I always say fix or resolve. Right? There's a problem. There's, there's something happening. We want to make that better. We want to reconcile that. We don't want to be at odds anymore. And, and the truth is, humanity was at odds with God because of our sin and separated from God because of our sin. But God, who's rich in mercy, pursued us and brought us a Savior, a Messiah, the King who was born a King, that we would worship Him and entrust our hearts to Him, that He would reconcile us. What does that mean? Well, it says, verse 19, that is in Christ, in Christ, you and I, in Christ, that God was reconciling, fixing and resolving the world to Himself. By what? By not counting their sins against them. You see, our, our sins are over us and that we, that we without Christ would die in our sin and stand before God with our sin and judgment would have to come upon us over our sin. But God, who's rich in mercy and, and rich in love, sent his son to take on that penalty for me and to take it on for you. That, that Christ said, I'll, I'll come. God, God of the universe came and said, I will come to earth. I'll condescend. I'll lower myself and I'll put on human flesh, the most humiliating thing a God could do, right? But God did that. He put on human flesh so he could die and offer himself for you and for me. The baby that was born was born to die so that through our faith in him and through what he has accomplished on the cross, that atoning sacrifice he made, that you and I could be reconciled to God. Well, in this point, we talk about We're proclaiming the glory of God, right? What do we proclaim? That he triumphed over our sin. He did. He triumphed over our sin. And through faith in Christ, we can be reconciled to God. And he says, not only that, that he's made you ambassadors. You and I are ambassadors for Christ. And we're certain that God is appealing through us to the world. And so we plead on Christ's behalf. What do we plead? If we're proclaiming the glory of God and we proclaim that he triumphed over sin, what do we plead to the world around? Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. When we come and worship Jesus on Sunday morning and, and, we, and during Christmas at Advent, we see baby Jesus in a manger. That is the proclamation that we make to the world around. That baby Jesus says, you can be reconciled with God. You can, we have the greatest job in the world. We can tell the world. We can tell, tell our friends and our family who don't know Christ. We can let them know that God 
wants to forgive them of all their sin. That's an amazing job that we have, to proclaim that and proclaim the glory of God. So God and sinners are reconciled. And then it goes on, joyful all ye nations rise. There's a joy here. It's interesting there's a joy because there's a wrath. Right? God, God will judge sin. God will punish sin. And he punished our sin on Christ so that he wouldn't have to punish us if we come to him in faith. But there's a key to this verse. It said, joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Join. I, I love this. This is an invitation to you and I to join the triumph. And I want to I give you a picture of this triumph of the skies. It wasn't just the triumph that the angels came and said and proclaimed, although that was the beginning of it. But if we fast forward and go to the, the end of the book in Revelation chapter 19, here's the triumph. Here's what, what John saw and wrote for us about what is going to come. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. And he judges and makes war in righteousness. What is the war against? The war is against sin. Right? We are at odds with God. It's not good to be at odds with God. It's not good to be at odds with the one on the white horse whose name is faithful and true. Because if he's faithful and true and you're at odds with him, you're unfaithful and you're a liar. But he comes. And, and what, so what is the joyfulness we have in our heart? It's when we join the triumph of the skies. It says his eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head and, and he had a name uh, written on him that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood and his name is the Word of God. We see this in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. This is the Word of God. This is Jesus Christ riding a white horse into battle, his, his white robe just stained in blood. Why? Because he sacrificed himself for us. And, and here's the neat thing. Join the triumph. Here's what it says at the end here. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linens. That, that's us. That's those who are in faith. Those are the ones that have joined the triumph of the skies are riding on their white horses behind the Lord Jesus. He has this blood-stained robe, and we're all white and pure, like going into battle, like, and we're not even going to get dirty because he's the one that judges. But we've joined the triumph. The triumph is that through faith in Christ, our sins can be removed. And the imagery there of that white robe that we're wearing riding behind Jesus is that you and I have been cleansed by the Son and what he had to do was shed his blood for us. But he is coming with judgment. He says a sharp, it says a sharp sword came out of his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. This is, this is the judgment, right? This is the business end of Jesus versus the saved end. The end of where we've come to faith in Christ. We're on the safe side. We're on the other side with white linens and riding horses behind him and everything in front of him is everyone that's rejected him and is at odds with him. That's why the invitation is join the triumph of the skies. The, the Christ is born, right? What we see, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, right? We should be like the wise men who want to come and worship him, not reject him. And, and the wise, right, what's the phrase? Wise men still seek him. When he, remember when they came, they came to Jerusalem, the wise men said, where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? We saw his star. We've come to worship him. It said, Jerusalem, the king Herod and Jerusalem were all troubled. People that he came to, his own, we'll see that in a few minutes, they, they rejected him. We, that is the most futile thing we can do, to reject Jesus Christ. Reject the Savior of the universe who came as a, 
a baby who lived and died and, and shed his blood for you, that he has the stains on him so you don't have to have it on you? I want that. And it goes on to glorify him and show him this. Again, we're proclaiming the glory of God because he's triumphed over sin. How has he triumphed? Because his, he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. You know what that name is? King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. But when, when Wesley actually penned that first opening couplet, it was, Hark how all the welkin rings glory to the king of kings is what it said. And actually, there was a, an arrangement, I can't remember, I think it was in the 60s that was put together, um, and they included that as the opening stanza of this verse, and then what they would do is they would take uh, George Whitfield's version, and they would tag it at the end of each verse, right? And we sing that song, we sing it that way too, that there's a, that, that refrain, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, is always at the end of each verse. But he opened it with that. Because it's so, so important to understand, as we proclaim uh, what, 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 we proclaim the glory of God through what the skies proclaim, and we join the triumph of the skies. We're joining the triumph of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what do we proclaim? We proclaim that he triumphed over sin as King of kings and Lord of lords. The second thing is we proclaim the glory of God. We're going to go to verse 2 of our song now. We see that God dwelled among us. We proclaim that God dwelled among us. This is not a far-off God. This is not like, hey, by the way, if you do this and do that and see him and believe that, you're good. It's to know how he accomplished it. It was God with us, Emmanuel. Verse 2 says this, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Let's look at that. We start that verse, and it's Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. We see this in Colossians. Christ was not a created being. Christ was not uh, something that God said, oh, I'm going to create and say, here's Christ on the scene. When Christ was born, that's not when he started to exist. And Colossians shows this. And, and this Again, why is this such a rich hymn? Why is this maybe the best hymn of all time? Christ by highest heaven adored. Right? Christ has always been adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Colossians tells us this about Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him. Here's what it means to be first. He had first place among everything. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. This is Jesus. This is who we're talking about when we say Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb. See, the eternal God became flesh, right? The eternal became temporal. And not temporary, he's always existed, he's eternal. But he became mortal. He was not only God, but now he was God with us in our own skin. How'd that happen? Matthew, 8, uh, Matthew 1, 18. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He, Joseph, right, he's listening to this like, wait a minute, this, she's not lying to me? She's, it's true? That she has had no relations with anybody, and this is, this is by the power of God? Yeah, because only by the power of God could God come among us. It said all this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke through the prophet. A virgin will become pregnant. She will give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, if this wasn't an immaculate conception, if this wasn't by the power of the Holy Spirit, it would not be God with us. It would be another dude with us. Right? It would be an another birth announcement in the paper. And that, and that man eventually would die for his own sin because he would not be God in the flesh. It, it was God. This is the eternal that came down and became flesh for us. We see that in John 1 and verses 14 through 18. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. The fullness. He's, he's God in the flesh. The fullness of God. Right? The, the word became flesh. The, the eternal became mortal. Put on mortal flesh and, and made his dwelling among us. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, has revealed him. When we talk about proclaiming and hark the herald angel saying, we are proclaiming that God dwelled among us. And, and, and he's been revealed. He took on flesh. He's been revealed to us. And, and, and we proclaim that he dwells with us, that he has come to us. He, he came because we couldn't do it on our own. He came to do what we couldn't do on our own. So we proclaim that to him, or to, to the world about him. I want to take a quick pause, and I'm, I'm going to go into our children's corner. So any children that are here from like the children's church age, the young ones, if you want to come up and have a seat on the front pew, I've got a little gift for them and, uh, and a story to tell them as well, if they would come on down. Come on up here in front. Right next to you, Bailey. Come on up. There's, there's a gift. You can sit on the seat here. There we go. Come on up. Come on over. Make some room here, you guys. Okay, scoot on in, scoot in. Scoot over this way, scoot over this way. Okay, so you guys, you've probably heard this before. There's the, there's the legend of the candy cane. And I'm going to tell you about that legend today. Now, it's largely legend and probably an urban legend that really didn't come about from anything. But what I could find on the World Wide Web, at, at best effort, was that it was probably... Something that was a candy, right, back in the day where, yeah, you had this candy cane, and it used to be just white, and they put, you know, color, a red stripe on it. But they, they, there was a choir master who had a, who had a choir of children, and in order for the choir of children to kind of, like, 
keep quiet and respectful and not be rude, he would give them a candy cane. And he gave them, it wasn't a cane at that point, it was just a candy stick. And the church got really upset about that. The church like, you can't be handing out candy in church. That's just wrong. So what he did is he would warm up the candy cane and he bent it into a shepherd's crook and said, there, now it's a shepherd's crook and we can give it to the kids. And he got around it and he did that, okay? So that was, that's what I learned. But, but I wanted to give you, um, there's a present, this is a, a little book um, for you guys to read as a family together. You'll take home and we'll give you one of them in a minute. On it is a candy cane and then the legend of the candy cane on top. But I wanted to help give you a reminder. Christmas should be about being reminded, right? Come on over here. Emmanuel, do you want to come over here? You can stand there too, that's okay. Christmas is about being reminded, right? Being reminded about Jesus and about what Jesus has done for us. So I'm gonna look at this candy cane. We're gonna take a look at this and you're going to, I'm gonna take that off. We'll see the candy cane right there. And we are going to talk about it. There's the candy cane, right? Is it upside down though? I don't know. What letter is that? What is this letter now? <laughs> it's a J. And the J here, the J should remind us about Jesus. So I want you to start your day with a candy cane upside down and not backwards. All right? The J should remind us about Jesus. Now, what colors do we have here? White and red. Very good. White and red. So the white, I want you to think about the white. And the white reminds us of what? What's what could the white remind us of? Laramie. That Jesus was pure. I was going to say it reminds me of snow. But it, but it really should remind me of white snow and that Jesus was whiter than snow, right? That he was pure. That, that's right. Jesus was pure. That means he was sinless. There was nothing bad in Jesus. He was perfect in every single way. You know why he was perfect in every single way? Because Jesus was God. God, right? Jesus was God. Now, the red stripe, it, what's how they're to remind us of something else. Olive, what do you think? Absolutely. That is a perfect answer. You should be a preacher. Proclaim God's word. That, yeah, the red, it means that Jesus died and he shed his blood for our sins, to cover our sins. He, he died on a cross uh, and in order to forgive us, because he loved us so much. Go ahead, Laramie. I like that. So Laramie brought up that when... That's right. So when you lick the candy cane, the red comes off, and that reminds us, what of, what of Laramie? That, what, that Jesus washed our sins away. That was great. That's a good point. Uh, next year, I'm going to conspire with Olive and Laramie for my sermon time. <laughs> now, what's really neat about that is that, that we want to be reminded that he can forgive us of our sins and he can wipe our sins away, that he can erase them. They're all gone, past, present, and future when we trust in Jesus, right? Then what happens when we turn it over, Isaac? What happens like this? What does that become? The shepherd's crook, right? The shepherd's staff. And what should that remind us of? What do you think? What should, what should that remind us of? Someone else. How about Jed? That's a J. Right, but what should the shepherd's crook remind us of? And Jesus is our shepherd, right? 
Do you know what a shepherd does? How do what does a shepherd do? Good. They take care of sheep. How how do sheep need to be cared for, Jesse? Do they get themselves in trouble sometimes? Yeah. Do they get dirty sometimes? Do they get caught in briar patches sometimes? Do they get in scary situations sometimes? But the shepherd, what does the shepherd do? Takes care of them. Protects them, right? So what it should remind us as we look at the candy cane as a shepherd's crook, it should remind us that Jesus, as our shepherd, will guide us and he'll take care of us. He'll lead us where he wants us to go and where we need to go, where it's safe and secure, and that our hope and our trust can be in Jesus as our shepherd. That's what the story of the candy cane should remind us, right? So we start here that Jay reminds us of what? Jesus. Upside down. Well, that was a right J, right? So it reminds us of Jesus. And then what does the white remind us of, Jesse? The white color. Hold on. And that he is who? He's perfect. He's perfect and he's God. And the red is the blood that he shed for us. And as we lick it and suck, the, suck on the candy cane, the red goes away, reminding us, Laramie, of what? He washed our sins away when he died for us and when he, we believed in him. And then when it's this way, it's a shepherd's crook to remind us that Jesus is our shepherd, right? Isn't that special? Hope you guys have a very Merry Christmas. Can I pray for you? And then I'm gonna have Bailey and Laramie hand these out to everybody, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love us so much. And God, that we can use a simple illustration like a candy cane to think about Jesus and to think about how, how pure he is, that he is God with us. To think about the fact that he came to shed his blood and die for us and, to, and that if, when we believe in him, he erases our sin and he becomes our shepherd. And that he, as a shepherd, he will guide us and he will protect us and he will direct us and discipline us all the days of our lives. We thank you for that. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you guys stand up in a line right here? And Laramie and, and uh, Bailey are going to hand one of these out to you, and then you go back to your seat, okay? Go ahead. All right, once you get it, you can go back to your seat, okay? I, I think you're supposed to eat a candy cane. Yes, I agree. But you have to ask your parents about that, okay? All right. Good job, children. Give them a hand. You guys can go back to your seats once you have your gift, okay? Go find your parents again. Charlotte, come on over here. Right there. One down there by Chase. Good job, you guys. Thanks. Oh, yep. Here, Bailey. You're good. There you go. Yeah. The candy canes are good in church. It's good. <laughs> All right. Last, a last little bit here. Number three, as we proclaim the glory of God, we proclaim that his, we proclaim his sacrifice of grace. And it was grace upon grace. He came in full of grace and full of truth. Uh, verse number three, if we could. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them 
second birth. Let's just break that last one down a little bit here. We see this uh, heaven-born prince of peace, and we, we see the son of righteousness is in a, uh, a prophecy from Malachi. Uh, Malachi? 4-2. But in, in Isaiah, we see this prophecy of the prince of peace, right? We know that a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will, will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, right? We hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Light and life to all he brings, right? In the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, we see it says, uh, the people in walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And there's renewal that will come from that. There's healing that will come from that. that, that and, and even in, in this prophecy in Malachi, um, I, I saw someone, uh, someone's commentary said, there's two different prophecies kind of, uh, or one prophecy coming about in two different times. And it's sometimes we look at a mountain range, like look at those mountains, that, that's, that's the thing. But sometimes one of those mountains is a little further away than you think it is, right? So not only is there going to be uh, light and life to all that, that when he comes, right? That we, we see that uh, now in the birth of Christ and we, we see that there is healing through the power of Christ and through his death. We also see that one day he will come again and he'll triumph again and he'll bring judgment and wrath upon those who have rejected him as well. We go on, mild he lays his glory by. This was this is Philippians chapter two. This is this is showing us the, the humility and the attitude that Jesus had. It says that Christ, who existed in the form of God, right? Jesus, God, the eternal God, nothing's been created without him. God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Like, you know what, what did he do? He said instead he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Because he was obedient to death, and then he rose victoriously, we can have life through him. And this idea of, of proclaiming the glory of God, and we proclaim his sacrifice of grace, the proclamation is there too. Upon his obedience, it says this, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. Here's the glory. We're proclaiming the glory of God that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We proclaim the glory of God. We proclaim his sacrifice for our sins. Goes born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Jesus talked about this in John 3. Truly I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is, this is an internal being born anew. The old going away and the new coming, coming to fruition through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ. And, and, and he did this for us. We see that in Romans 6, if, if we died with Christ, right, we believe that he will, uh, we will also live with him. See, we've put the old person to death and risen to newness of life with Jesus Christ because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, we will not die again. And he, he will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died once to sin for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He, he was born to die and he died so that with with our faith in him, our death would not be permanent. We would rise to life with him. Born, right? What the songs say, born uh, so that men no more may die. 
to give a second birth. How is that possible? Well, through faith in Christ, we're made clean. Just like I love the theology there. You eat that, eat that candy cane, that red goes away, and it's just pure white. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the beauty. This is the beauty and the hope of the gospel as we proclaim this baby's birth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the law, the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. But what the law could not do, since it's weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. What we couldn't do in the flesh, he did in the flesh. He did it with his flesh for you and for me, that through faith in Christ there would be no condemnation, but only forgiveness, hope. In John 1, 16 and 17, we saw this a minute ago. Indeed, we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. This is what we've given, got from him. Right? We proclaim the glory of God. We proclaim his sacrifice of grace. It is exactly what it is. It's a sacrifice for us, but it's, it's revealing his grace. He came, the sacrifice was because the truth of God must punish sin, but the sacrifice was given to us out of grace because he was full of both grace and truth. We have received grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's why I, I long for this message. I long for this story. I long for the gospel. And, and my hope is, and my prayer is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, not just at Christmas. Right? My, my, my prayer is always that. And when I think about the first Noel, I think about the first birthday, the birthday of birthdays, the first Christmas, Jesus, I, I, that's the most important one. And we think about a little town of Bethlehem, which we studied, this, this humble state of affairs that there's a humility that has to take place. And Jesus was the one who humbled himself. We long for that. We, we, there's nothing little about what he did through that little town or in little you and me, in weak you and me. And today, because of that, because of faith in Christ, we can proclaim with the angels, with the skies, with the, that the glory of God is what we want, that we hark, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Glory to the king of kings. Amen? Listen, we're going to stand together and, uh, and worship the Lord again. Let's pray and, uh, and get to worshiping. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, we ask that you would, you would just fill our hearts with that grace, that you would fill our hearts with you and an affection for you, that our affections for you would grow that, God, we would wonder in amazement at what you have done, and we would, we would be so overjoyed by what has been accomplished through Christ and through our faith. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.